Pearson Ravitz story begins with Dr. Stephanie Pearson, a passionate OBGYN at the height of her career. But when a shoulder injury struck during a precipitous delivery, her dreams were shattered, leaving her unable to practice medicine. Determined to make a difference, Dr. Pearson became an advocate for her peers, guiding them through the complex disability process. Alongside insurance expert Scott Ravitz, Dr. Pearson founded Pearson Ravitz, a company determined to approach insurance differently. Together, they set their mission to educate and empower physicians to protect their most valuable asset, their income, and the most important people in their life, their family. Today, Pearson Ravitz serves the medical community in all 50 states. At Pearson Ravitz, they understand the unique concerns of physicians. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness or injury could leave you and your family in a devastating financial situation. But with little planning and guidance, you can prepare for every possibility. Visit PearsonRavitz.com to schedule your consultation with a Pearson Ravitz advisor. This is another two-parter, so make sure to check out parts one and two, conflict resolution, physician to physician, physician to staff, to patient, to anyone. Learn a framework for resolving conflict. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Welcome back to the podcast. On today's show, we have Dr. Lee Sharma, and we're going to be talking about conflict resolution and mediation. She's a gynecologist who's been in private practice in Auburn, Alabama since 1997. Her parents, both physicians, exemplified intelligence and compassion in their art and are significant influences for her both professionally and personally. She holds a master's degree in conflict resolution, and that's why she's on the show today. And she's worked with hospitals and medical practices as a mediator. Dr. Sharma has worked for over 30 years and is an advocate for patients through local, state, and national medical organizations. Her husband, also a physician and children, chemical engineer, and first-year law student, have been her greatest cheerleaders as she continues her work in health policy, advocacy, and conflict management. Dr. Sharma, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Block. I'm so excited to be here. So let's get right to the heart of the matter. Why is it so important for physicians to be adept at conflict resolution? You know, the biggest thing that we can say, and I think it's something that's becoming more and more studied, is the fact that the conflict that happens in our health workplace directly affects the quality of care. And there's so much interesting research. There's a beautiful study that was done in Geneva, Switzerland, where they looked at internal medicine residents. They looked at different specialties, peds, um, surgery, and they also looked at that interaction with nurses, nurse managers. So you had um, specialists in one specialty, you had them interacting with other specialists, then you had them interacting with nursing staff. And what they found was not only did conflict affect patient care on multiple indices, if you look at the different indices, the Institute of Medicine and their measures for patient quality of care, it affected all of them. But you could also look at the different types of conflicts, conflicts between a chief resident and an intern, conflict between two chief residents and two different specialties, conflicts between residents and nurses. And they had different effects 
on patient care. When you had intra interprofessional conflicts, so if you had within one specialty, those things tended to affect the level of patient centeredness. In other words, it, if you had a resident and an intern that were in a conflict, they were spending more mental energy on the conflict and less on patient care. And they were actually able to look at these indices and say, yes, this had a direct impact. If they looked at interprofessional things where they were looking at, say, a resident and a nurse or two residents in two different specialties, it actually affected the timeliness of the care. It affected how long it took for the patient to get certain things done. And then that had an impact on quality. So first and foremost, we want to learn how to do conflict well because we know it improves patient care. But there's definitely another reason. When we are in conflict, our mental energy, our well-being is dissipated on the conflict. We can't take care of ourselves. We have less cognitive working area to put to on patient care. And so it makes that day seem longer. And when we're done, we're more emotionally exhausted because we didn't know how to deal with the conflicts that arose. If that was a conflict with a patient, a patient's family, with another doctor, with nursing staff, that conflict changed the way our day went. And so it directly affects our mental energy. So the two reasons, we want to make patient care better. We want to have nicer days at work. So those are two really good reasons for us to have this conversation. That's so funny the way that, or rather interesting the way you put it that way, because when I think of conflict resolution, like I think of stuff that gets escalated to HR. And what you're talking about includes that, but also includes a whole lot more conflict that never makes it there, that just kind of brews and then dissipates and then brews and then dissipates, like the type of stuff that happens in a relationship that might happen with your significant other, where they're like, you know, leave all their clothes on the floor or don't do the dishes or like you were expecting like something to happen and it didn't happen. And these like little things that they, they can accumulate over time, but each of those is a conflict or at least potential for conflict. And so it sounds like if you're adept at this at the workplace, it would also translate to other areas of your life as well. Absolutely. And you know, it's so interesting that, you know, we talk about doing conflict well. Well, where do we learn how to do that? Well, some of this we had modeled for us, but if we grew up or if we were in situations where we were what's called conflict avoidant, where we just didn't want to deal with it, put our head in the sand and let's, let's just pretend la 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 that we don't want to deal with it. We never got the skills to directly engage with people in that way. So if you look at and it's really simple, but it, it is a reasonable way to think about it when you think about sort of, because you mentioned like big conflicts, like things that go to HR, you know, we can have a discussion and that's kind of where we'd like to stay, having a discussion with somebody actually understanding their interests and therefore being able to really talk with them about whatever we issue we're having a problem with. We can then go to mediation. We can go to negotiation, so this is a little more directed. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we have arbitration and litigation. So obviously, we want to stay on this side of this idea of the conflict. We'd like to stay with discussion, mediation, negotiation, because those are things that we actually have active partition weight. Once you get to arbitration and litigation, you are not in control of this process anymore. And none of us like the L word. None of us. So we want to stay on this side. What's the difference between mediation and arbitration? So arbitration, generally what you have is you have somebody who is 
designated to actually make a decision between the conflicting parties. So an arbiter generally has the power to make a decision about this person's right, this person's not, this is what you need to do. So that's why it's that step before we get to litigation. When we're talking about negotiating mediation, a mediator is somebody who does really three things. They set the boundaries for the people in conflict. So it's a third party that's saying, this is what we're going to do. These are the steps we're going to take. And these are the boundaries that we're going to draw. We're only discussing this. It's very interesting. And you mentioned this in terms of relationships. When people get in conflict, they're not most of the time going to stick with the one thing they're fighting about. If you and I, there, there's an apple. There's an apple sitting between us. And we both want this apple, right? And you've had a long day in surgery. You haven't eaten today. And you say, you know what, Lee? That apple's mine. I need this apple. I've really worked hard today. And then I say to you, you know what, Brad? But, you know, I, I had to be in clinic all day today. You know, I saw 30 patients in clinic and then I had to go back and round and I haven't even really had lunch today. So I get where you're coming from, but I really think I should have this apple. Well, right now we're arguing about the apple. But then you say, you know, but my specialty is harder. I'm doing harder surgeries than you. My patients are more demanding. I deserve that apple. Well, guess what we just did? We just escalated. We just went into talking. We're not talking about the apple anymore. We're talking about which one of our identities and our workplace positions is deserving of that respect. And it's so quick when we are talking about call schedules. We're talking about having clinic resources. We're talking about having OR time. Those conflicts, while initially maybe starting in that box, we start to bring in all this other stuff, and we all do it. So a big part of the person who's sitting there and guiding that conversation saying, this is what we're talking about today, guys. We're setting that boundary. And in addition to that, when we start to bring in these identity-based things, because that's what's happening, we're starting to argue about something that has nothing to do with the apple, right? If you and I are arguing about what you're doing at work, what I'm doing at work, which one of us is more important, which one of us deserves more of those resources, are we really arguing about the apple anymore? No. We are arguing about something far more fundamental to us, and we're going to defend it. So another thing that mediator or that person who's helping this discussion is going to do is helping to reframe that. If you're coming in there and you have this because I want this OR time. I want the 7.30 start time. Why can't I have the 7.30 start time? I, I deserve the 7.30 start time. I've been here 15 years. I deserve that. I bring in so much money to the hospital. You give me that 7.30 start time. Have we heard this discussion before? Of course we have. And the thing of it is, if you let people live in that space, that's called positional bargaining, by the way. If you let them live in the space where they're fighting about this position, in other words, I deserve this and you deserve this and we're both going to fight about it, you will never get this conflict resolved because there's always going to be a winner and a loser. Always. If you pull it back from that, if you pull it back into the space of we're not arguing about positions, but we're arguing about interest, because if I ask you, Brad, why do you want the 730 start time? And then you say to me, you know, this is the one day that I can take my kids to school. And I really want to take my kids to school. And so this day, if you give me the 7.30 start time, then I can get my kids to school and be here at 7.30. This day makes me have better relationship with my kids. And then if I say, oh, wow, well, that interest is important. So 
maybe can we, because this is one day that the reason I like the 730 start time is because this is the one day a week that I can get to this cycling class and this cycling class is really good for my mentality. Is there a creative solution that you and I can come up with? Can we alternate 7.30 start times on this day? And that way you've got time to take your kids to school and I've got time to do a class. It Is sounds there a like, creative solution we can find? It sounds like, though, what you might be backing yourself into is like pitting someone's exercise time against someone else's time with their kids because there might only be one 7.30 start time, right? And then, Which there might. And, and, then, and then where do you go? where do you go from there? So what you need to do, and there's, okay, so there's actually this really interesting process. It's called the walk in the woods, and it actually is based on a negotiation between Russia and the United States about an arms talk in Geneva. And there's actually a play about it called The Walk in the Woods. So The Walk in the Woods is famous because Russia and the U.S. were sitting at this table negotiating nuclear weapons, and it was at an impasse. There was nothing happening. It was horrible. It was going to fail. Everybody was going to go home. Well, before they went home, it was a beautiful day. One of the lead Russian negotiators and one of the lead American negotiators happened to go for a walk outside. And they happened to be out there together. And as they were walking, they started talking about their interests. They started talking about their families. They started talking about the optimism they had for their respective nations. And then as they started talking, all of these solutions started coming out. And so when they came back, they realized several things. Number one, they were arguing from a place of self-interest. Number two, as they started talking, they realized they had interest in common. They wanted their countries to be safe. They wanted their children to grow up. And as they started talking about the fact that they had these shared interests, these shared priorities, they said, well, if we've got shared priorities, are there some things that we haven't thought of we can do, some overarching themes that we can share. And it's like, yes, we can actually think about having these limits. We can think about having these agreements so that we are trying to maintain some type of identity and superiority, but we understand that we do not want to escalate to the point that we are in Italy at nuclear war. And then they were able to come back to the table and say, we have aligned interests. Now we understand that we are on the same page and we can actually make a set of rules and a set of agreements that we both can follow. And that process of having people talk about their own self-interest. So you want the 730, I want the 730. And then we sit down and start talking about what our interests are. And then we start talking about the fact that, you know, we both just really want to have a very efficient work day. And we really want to make sure that we both have a quality of life. You have your kids. I have my class. We want to make sure that we are on the same page. Let's think of something creative. Maybe it's not alternating 730 start times. Maybe it's finding if there's a... separate OR, if, they, if it's a matter of putting another team, if it's a matter of shifting times to another time, is there a creative solution that we can find that we both can have the thing that's actually getting us an aligned interest? Because ultimately, what are you and I both interested in? You and I are both interested in taking care of our patients and having quality of life. That's what we want. So if and, we can find a- being respected. And I feel like yes. if you dismiss- like you might not give them what they think they want, but you might end up giving them in the end something that may even work even better for them. But if you don't deliver it in that way, they're not going to realize that's what it is. If you just shut them down and be like, <clears throat> no, you're not getting your 730 start time. You're getting like Wednesdays at 830 instead of Tuesdays at 730. They're going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Even though it might actually work out better for them, they're they're going to, you know, they're going to be reluctant to do that. 
because they're being told what to do. And I feel yes. like there's an element of psychological reactance there where nobody likes being yes. told what to do, even if yeah. it's in their self-interest. So like bringing think- them in and then that, like coming up with the creative solutions, they're like part, like the shared decision-making is going to, is going to help. Yes. Yes. And and that's the reason why one of the first things when you have the situation where you have two people fighting over the apple, whatever this apple form takes, that there is always that element of power. Every time you're in a positional negotiation, every time you're in a, a situation where someone says, I want blank and I want blank, you have to see that that's a position. And there are times There are times to engage in positional bargaining. I don't want to say positional bargaining is evil. Sometimes if you are negotiating insurance contracts, sometimes if you're negotiating financial things with large entities, sometimes you're going to positionally bargain. And that's a very different set of rules. But what we're talking about in terms of negotiating day-to-day with healthcare, with our colleagues, with other people we work with, positional bargaining tends to bite you in the butt. (laughs) Because if you start doing a me doctor, you not thing, or me more important doctor, you less important doctor thing. There are two things that happen from that. The first one you absolutely said is that this idea of being in a power play that I am establishing, I'm beating my chest and I'm going to tell you that this is what I must have. Number one, if you are that person, that will backfire on you. 100%. Because if you sit there, because what are you going to do? If somebody says... Oh, you can't have that. Are you going to quit? Are you going to tear up your contract and leave? Probably not. You're not going to do that. And you're going to leave that interaction really in a much more disadvantaged place to have any further conversations. So a lot of times when people walk in, because that's the only thing they know how to do, is they can walk in and say, pound their fist on the desk and say, you must give me this. Most of us really have never been taught to say, okay, I would like blank and let me tell you why I want it. And sometimes even in patient interactions, if you're in a patient interaction and you're trying, you know, you the patient really needs X test. This patient really needs to have this and you know it, but to walk in there and say to the patient, you need to have this test. You are now in a positional bargaining uh, situation, right? Because you're telling the patient to do it, but rather walk in there and go, all right, so this is the reason I need this test. I need this test to know if I need to take out X. You know, I need to go, I need to get this iodine study on your thyroid because if you have a thyroid nodule, it's a cold nodule, then we're getting to evaluate that. So this is why I need you to get this test. And once I have this result back, I can tell you I need to do this procedure. Oh, well, now you've explained to the patient your interest in having them do this procedure. And once you've gotten that interest part of it, you, you're moved beyond the position. You've moved beyond the pounding your fist on the desk. And you are now at the point of telling somebody, the reason I have this position is blank. You're bringing them into that. And then at that point, you can say to them, if they have an opposing, you know, if they're not really at that level or they're not wanting to kind of, okay, I don't, I don't want to do that. Okay, explain to me your position. Explain to me your interest in not doing this. Don't just... You're not going to, you're not going to exert your power. It's not about you winning. And it's so interesting, right? A lot of times when we think about conflict, we think about winners and losers. We think about this person, you know, you walk away from that interaction. I won, you lost. Everybody loses. In that particular situation, everybody lost. And to be able to reframe that into that interest conflict and say, no, no, no. If there's a winner and a loser, everybody lost. And you didn't just lose this time. 
you're going to lose again and again and again. Because if you see that person have that interaction again, guess what? You haven't forgotten the previous interaction. You're going to lose again. Well, the, one of my questions was going to be, how do you define success and failure with conflict resolution? And it sounds like you you answered that already. You answered that. Is, is if like everyone kind of gets to the same page together where everybody kind of feels like it's resolved rather than having a winner and a loser. And actually, it's it's interesting because this has come up in podcast interviews before about negotiating contracts. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you view it as a winner and a loser, then you're, you're coming from, from the wrong perspective. If you come at it, it was, right. well, I want you to hire me and you want to hire me. Let's get to a place where we we can both agree on mm-hmm. that rather than mm-hmm. you know these these positions of of opposition so it's this is so it's just so fascinating and i love this um i definitely look at success and failure in a, in a resolution or a conflict situation i definitely want to see positive outcomes but actually the thing that i look for in terms of success or failure of the interaction or the negotiation did the people persons, groups involved come away with a better set of skills to manage conflict the next time. Oh, and interesting. If 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 we've done that, that to me is the absolute marker of success because I want to I Teach never a person want to fish. To, That's what yes! you're doing. <laughs> yes. I never want people to leave first of all, I never want them to leave a mediation feeling like they weren't heard. That's number one. You when you walk in it's like You are here today because you have an interest and you have something that you care about enough to be sitting in this room right now to be in this mediation. And that speaks volumes. If you can actually have people who are willing to interact and spend time working on the conflict, you're already halfway. And then in addition to that, if you start reframing this conflict from the position to the interest, I am interested in why you feel this way. And once you do that, it's fascinating how often you find other options. You find other things than the people thought they were fighting about. And this is when you start to get more creative in terms of looking at what people are really here for. This is, this is the reason why they're here. And once you get to that, it's sometimes it's almost like those options present themselves. And the people solve the conflict themselves. And you can always kind of tell when people do that because then they start talking amongst themselves. They're not talking to you anymore. It's like, this is awesome. Once they're talking to each other and they're not talking to the mediator, you have pretty much taken care of it. And a lot of it is teaching people to fight fair, um, to actually say, okay, you know, if someone starts to bring in, well, this, you did this two weeks ago. No, that is not what we were talking about right now. We are talking about this. We are talking about what happened in this case today where you asked this person to go get this piece of equipment and this person said no. This is what we're talking about today. We are talking about what went into this interaction and how we can help this interaction not happen again. And if they start bringing in other things, it's like that's conflict for another day. We're not talking about that right now. But you will often find in the course of doing these things that people have other interests or other interactions that they are bringing into it. One of the things that you also mentioned, talk about the contract negotiation, um, we make assumptions about other people's motivations when we get into conflict. And I don't, I don't, Brene Brown, and she's written a lot of, a lot of, okay, love her. Brene Brown has a podcast called Unlocking Us, which is absolutely one of my favorites. 
but she did one, I think it was one of her last ones, where she was talking about where she had met another speaker and she was sharing a hotel room with the speaker and the speaker was like eating the cinnamon roll and getting icing all over this nice hotel room and Brene was about to lose her mind because she could not believe this person was doing this. And she was talking to her sister about it and her sister said, do you really believe this person was doing the best they could do? And Brene had to stop and think about it. It's like, I want to say I don't think she was, but honestly, I think, yes, she was. <laughs> a lot of times <laughs> it when like, people- That's a dig. It sounds like that was that, a dig right there. No, that was, that this was, person was a hot, she's a hot mess no, with the cinnamon roll. She, yeah, because yeah, she was eating cinnamon rolls and putting icing everywhere. Um, but so often, even like day to day when I see conflicts happening or if it's something that maybe I'm a part of, then I will ask that question. You know, how often do surgeons get into it with anesthesia? all the time. And so a lot of times, and of course, OB is famous in terms of having conflict with anesthesia. And so often when you see this starting to escalate, a lot of times what I will say, if it's me witnessing it and I happen to be there, or if I'm part of it, what I say to myself is, do I believe this person is doing the best they can do? I don't know what kind of day this person's had. I don't know how what bad stuff has happened to them. I don't know what their home life is like. Is this person doing the best they can do? And once I say that to myself, it's like backpedal. All right. This person is absolutely doing the best they can do. And I need to go and talk to this person and find out what this person's interest is in delaying my C-section by an hour. And once I get to that, I'm not making assumptions anymore about this person's a jerk and just wants to delay my case because he's awful and I don't like him. And he's obviously trying to make my day worse by delaying my C-section. I don't know that. I don't know that at all. I don't know what else he's got going on. And so if I make that assumption of he is doing the best he can do, it gives me the space to go and talk to him and go, hey, dude, I don't, you're, I know you're, I don't know what your day is going. I don't know what's going on, but I really do need to know why you delay my C-section. I got D-cells back here. Tell me why you want to delay my C-section. And, and then if I say, oh, well, and sometimes it's miscommunication. It's like, oh, I didn't hear that the strip was bad. I'm like, no, dude, the strip's bad. It's like, well, let's go. I'm like, cool. But the fact that I didn't make the assumption that he's just trying to screw my day over yeah. is what allows me That'd to have really the ability to go and talk thing to for him. for someone to do. It would. But we sometimes we get in our own heads and that's the story that we have. It's like, they're just trying to mess with me. Yes. Yes. And that's why that phrase of, is this person really doing the best they can do? Is that nurse doing the best she can do? Is my colleague doing the best he or she can do? If I say that to myself, it gives me a space to, okay, throttle down. Let's go ahead and approach this person. Let's get the real story. Let's communicate. And when we talk about communication, you know, we talk about this, you know, communication is so important. Communication is so important. This is how we improve patient care is communication. That's absolutely true. But we need rules and we need to learn how to do it well. It sounds like you're giving people a lot of space there. Is this, and, and also you're giving people maybe not enough credit. Like, is this the the best they can, they can, this person can do? And it sounds like you're giving them a lot of opportunities to, to not do such a good job. You're, you're being really lenient. And is that really, the, I mean, are these people really doing the best that you can do? Or you're just kind of like, give them a little space. I think, and, and I really do think this, I would say maybe five times in my career, and it may be different for other people. I have legitimately come across people who were not at all engaged in the process of patient care, but who were in that job. 
And when you see that and you ask yourself that question, that question's pretty easy to answer. And there's nothing wrong if you ask that question, say to yourself, is this person doing the best they can do? And the answer is no. No, I have asked for this five times. I see you sitting here not responding. Then I'm going to go find your boss and then I'm going to say something because now you're affecting patient care and, and I, I'm not going to have that. I think the majority of people we get in conflict with, um, part of the reason they're engaging in conflict with you is because you both care about what's happening. And the vast majority of the time, the people who we're fighting with care. We just have a hard time getting our goals aligned. And most of the time, I think they are because we care about patients. We care about having quality of life. We care about having lives outside of work. And we know the more efficiently we do our jobs, the more efficiently and the better our quality of life will be outside of work. I have been very blessed, I think, in terms of the majority of people I come in contract, contract with really are. Now, I will say this, and I'll, I'll tell this one story. The one time that I remember I have had, I have had probably two instances where I had people that I witnessed absolutely did not care one bit. And that's not a conflict to me. I guess I think about conflict as people who are fighting directly. I think when I'm holding somebody accountable for doing their job, I don't see that as a conflict necessarily. I well, see that as... it depends on as, their response. Right. Because if, if they I push back, it's conflict. And if they acquiesce, yes. then it's not. Right. And and if they push back, and it's like, this is something I need you to do, yeah. I may still ask the question, is there a reason this is not happening? I may still seek to understand, but instead of sitting down and having this interest-based discussion of five minutes, I'm probably going to go find their boss, or I'm going to make a phone call and say, this happened and this can't happen again, and this is why this can't happen again, because my patient suffered as a result of this. So I do think that there's going to be times that you're going to have people that you're going to have to, you're going to have to set a standard. Mm -hmm. And if that standard is not being met, if we're not engaging in conflict, if, if it's me saying, I need you to do this now and you're not doing it, I think that's different. But I also yeah. think it's, I think it's one of those things that, you know, like you can tell when somebody is really trying to do their best and really trying to get something done and somebody yeah. who just really could care less. I think you can tell. I think we all have that. And I, I I think it's, have you had that happen a lot where you feel like you've come in contact with people that really could care less about doing their jobs that you've really had to push or you've really had to call them out on? Yeah, I have that. Okay. How do you get this person, like, think invested the way that you're invested? And I think just sometimes they're just not invested. Right. And there might be a bunch of reasons for that. And right. I think it's important to figure out why, and then you, you get them invested. You know, it might not be because they don't care about this patient. You know, there might be a whole bunch of stuff, as you said, you don't know what's going on in their life. Right. Um, yeah. but, but, but I think that's often, that's, that's been the reason, um, is just lacking of investment in whatever's going on. And so, yeah, then they don't care. And I think that's, I think that's where you can, you have an opportunity because I think if you find somebody who really is in that space of they are not invested at the level that really they should be for whatever they're doing, I think that is a great opportunity to absolutely express 
an aligned goal. I'm trying to align you with the goals that I have. And so if my goal is I would like to have this patient up and walking tomorrow because I know the more she walks, the less atelectasis she's going to have and her temperatures are going to go down. And if I find out that no one's walking her, to go and find the nurse and find the patient care tech and go, okay, guys, this is the reason why I really need this happen today because I want this patient to be afebrile and I, she's going to recover faster if we get her up and get her walking. And so I need you guys to walk her three times a day around the hall. And if I have brought them and explained to them, this is, I'm not just telling you to tell you, this is the reason why I really need this done, you know. And if I'm still feeling like I'm not feeling it, it's like, so tell me what your goals are for this patient. Tell me what you want to see this patient do today. And they might look at you a little bit. It's like, no, tell me what you want. She's your patient too. Tell me what you want to happen with this patient today. It's like, do you want this patient to stay in house for three days or do you want them to go home in a day and a half? I mean, this is, this is where we're aligning goals. It's funny. You, you mentioned that and that sounds, sounds to me like motivational interviewing, which is interesting because I just did another interview about a completely different topic. And that also what we talked about ended up circling back to the techniques of motivational interviewing. So it's just, you know, talking to this person and then reflecting back to them what their own values are and what's important to them in order to get them to do. And then that reflection is one of the tenets of motivational interviewing. That's awesome. And it, and I think, I think it also too, you're bringing them into that team, into that, into that circle of we're here together, guys. And this is what we all, we all want the same thing. This is how we're going to do it. And then I, I think that ability to, like you said, to motivate somebody in that way into the fence that you've brought them into the team, it's so empowering for that person. And then when you circle back and go, Hey, that patient had a shorter hospital stay and a better recovery because of you. Thank you for doing that. They'll walk every single patient on the floor that day. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That was part one of two. So make sure you stay tuned for part two. And now a final word from our sponsor. At Pearson Rabbits, they understand that life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness, injury, or catastrophic event could put you and your family in a devastating financial situation. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Rabbits builds human connections before they create quotes. Visit PearsonRabbits.com today and embark on a journey of safeguarding your future. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, this is not a doctor-patient relationship and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.